How's it going, everybody? This episode of the A-Game Podcast is brought to you by Nationwide Business Capital Group. This is a great episode containing Chris Arnold, who's doing all kinds of amazing things in the real estate space. He's got something very different going on that he's doing in the radio space, and he's actually wholesaling hundreds of deals a year from Mexico into Dallas, Texas, which is one of the most competitive markets in the country, so you have no excuses not to be able to pull this off if he's literally doing it from another country. He is a uh, a really experienced guy with a lot of really crafty tricks that I appreciated a lot of the value that he gave during this episode. So I think on the real estate side of things, there's a lot of really cool gems and information to really fire you guys up and give you some advice and some really good golden nuggets of content. On www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see on there, get funding for my real estate deals. That will take you to Nationwide Business Capital Group. Nationwide Business Capital Group can help you or your clients get funding for their deals. If you're wholesaling, fix and flipping, if you're doing rentals, if you need a refinance, if you need a line of credit, if you want commercial loans, industrial loans, any type of loan you can think of, whatever your situation is, if you have low money down, if you have credit issues, if you have great credit, if you have experience, if you have no experience, if you're new, whatever the situation is, they are one of the most creative lenders I have dealt with in the last five to 10 years. Marianne will take really good care of you and will be on your side to help you figure out a way to get these deals done. She will work her butt off for you. So jump on www.nicknicknick.com slash links. When you go on there, look under affiliates for get funding for my real estate deals. It will take you to Nationwide Business Capital Group website and Marianne will take good care of you if you tell her that the A-Game podcast sent you over. And then right next to that, you can actually get a 20% off discount by typing in A-Game on Naked Warrior Recovery CBD, a Navy SEAL-owned CBD company. They have gummies, they have swag, they have drops, they have joint relief, they have all kinds of different things now that website's growing and growing and growing with more and more stuff every day. Support a Navy SEAL, support a great company, and support your joints, your inflammation, your sleep, your appetite. CBD is a wonder drug, and that one has been some of the top quality that I have had over the years. They are, again, a sponsor of the show. I hope you guys get a lot out of this. I think you will. Chris Arnold was an amazing guest. All his links are in the show notes. Please check them out. Check out the sponsors, and have a great day. Thank you. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today podcast calling from Mexico is Chris Arnold. Chris is joining us today. He's closed over 2,500 real estate deals using a marketing channel that is very effective, but very overlooked, which is radio, which we were just talking about. And in uh, 15 years of working in real estate, Chris has perfected a method of micro-targeting the exact audience he's looking for and then creating explosive radio spots that result in prospects approaching him to buy their homes. And this is a marketing channel that brings in quality, consistent leads with virtually no competition. And I am very excited to dig into this and talk to you about this today. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, man. Glad, glad to hang out, add some value to your audience. And uh, I think hit on a topic that a lot of people are like, man, th this is interesting. Me too, man. And if, if, uh, if nothing else gets people excited to listen to this podcast, I want them to understand that you are in Mexico and you're doing hundreds of deals in Dallas while you get to hang out in paradise 
every single day and have other people doing the hard work for you and they bring you the deals and you get to sit back and have the quality of life. I mean, I don't care what exit strategy you have or asset class you're focusing on, what you're doing, the life you're living is what every single one of them is striving for. So congrats on your success, man. I'm blown away by that. I think it's amazing. People get concerned of investing right around the block from their house, doing it in literally a different country. So um, give a quick background on yourself, man. Let the people know uh, who you are, what you do. And then I definitely want to hear about what actually got you interested in real estate in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. So man, I've been in the game 15 years, if somebody's listening. So like, how did this guy end up, you know, in Mexico? Where did you start? I got my real estate license and became an agent for Century 21. So I mean, that was like step one, get me off the bench into the game. And uh, I was fundamentally hustling for, you know, 3% real estate commissions, right with buyers and sellers. And so I, I scaled up that business, uh, built the whole team model, went out on my own, built my brokerage, which I still have. And then about eight years ago, um, I decided I wanted to get more into the investment side. And so I partnered up with a good buddy. We started fixing and flipping. Uh, we were doing that at a high level and then realized that we could scale wholesaling even higher. Um, as I say, I'd rather take a uh, fast nickel than a slow dime would probably be the best way to describe the difference between uh, wholesaling and fix and flip. So we've been doing that run, one of the larger uh, companies in uh, the Texas kind of DFW area. And it's a completely virtual platform. We have no brick and mortar office. All of our staff are scattered east to west coast. So I have one of uh, the five freedoms that exist, which I think is a really great thing to have, which is freedom of location. So I don't need to be in Dallas. So I choose to be down here in Tulum, Mexico uh, in the Caribbean. And then from that, man, just got into the education side. You start looking for significance you know, doing deals over a period of time. It's great cash and checks, but man, there's got to be more to life than that, right? And so I launched uh, one of the top real estate masterminds uh, really in the country called Multiplier's Brotherhood. And uh, we've just focused on creating a really tight niche family and brotherhood um, with a small group of guys, which I love. And then obviously now I'm teaching people how to do and find deals via radio, which I believe the best way I describe it's the marketing channel everyone knows about, but nobody's doing. Because if I ask you the question, who's doing it in your market, you'll probably kick back and go, man, now that you ask me, I can't think of anybody. So that's my story <laughs> in a nutshell. I love that, man. There's a lot of really interesting stuff in there. So one of the first things I want to dig into is of all the things you could and all the things you could do, what was it about real estate that made you decide to start to go down that track? I know you started as an agent, but what, what about it caught your eye that made you be attracted to that type of thing? Yeah, the best way I can describe it is as a vehicle. Um, I come from a seminary background. So my focus was always about how am I going to impact the world? Um, what problem am I going to solve? And I realized I could do that one of two ways. Um, either I could go around um, and really raise money at the mercy of other people, which again, nothing wrong if someone's chosen that route. There are people that do a great job of raising capital um, to impact the world. Or I could build a business where I could write checks and I could go myself because I had the freedom to do that. And as I looked around, I was like, man, the thing that looks best, honestly, to do that is real estate. I mean, I was early 20s at the time. I mean, I'm not that sophisticated in my understanding of business. So it was like two things I understood. I was like, I can go into the stock market, but I'm terrible at math. So that's probably not going to work. So I'm going to utilize real estate because that's a great vehicle. And so I just believe that really my business is a, the best way I can say it, it's a delivery system for me to be me. 
that's all real estate is. It's for me to create the impact I want to have. And uh, I believe it's simply a delivery system that gives me freedom of time, resources, location, thought, all of those things to be able to impact the world I feel uh, that I'm called to do. So that's why. That's why real estate. Can't argue with that. That's a fantastic answer. I love that. Awesome stuff. So now being an agent and then transitioning into investments, at what point did you decide, okay, I'm going to start to shift gears a little bit now? Because I, I think, uh, and, I, and I get the calls a lot too. People call me and they're like, hey, I see what you're doing. I'm looking to get into real estate. Should I get my license? And then they start to go back and forth of like, well, you know, maybe an agent's more consistent money. Um, you know, I've done both sides of it. I'm looking at their, they're both hard work, but one of them to me pays a lot more than the other, but there's ways to incentivize and monetize on both sides as well. So, um, you know, I, I've run all over New York city showing people apartments and all kinds of crazy stuff. And I always like doing it better for my computer, but you know, there, there's definitely pros and cons to both. And you seem to have found a way to make both work for you. So, um, for somebody listening that maybe is deciding which way to go, should they be an agent, should they be an investor, or if they're already an agent and they're looking to see how they can transfer and really do more focus on the investment side, talk about your, your um, experience with that. Yeah, so I'm going to answer it a couple ways. Um, if you're at the very beginning and you haven't crossed the line on either one and you're to say, Chris, if you could go back all over again, would you start as an agent or you'd start as an investor? I'd tell you hands down without question, I would have started as an investor if I had to do it over again. Why? Because I believe there's so much more opportunity and there's so many more types of business on the investment side than on the agency side. I feel like the agency side being again, a real estate agent slash broker can be pretty limited. Now, all that to say, um, now that I have my business, I'm grateful that we have both because I feel like we're a more stabilized company um, because we're solution oriented. So again, we're all generating motivated sellers. A motivated seller has one of two options. Either I'm gonna take a cash offer or I'm not that motivated. Maybe I don't have that much equity and I just need to list my property. I need to be on the MLS. And so we've married investment and retail world together into one business. And I believe that we're much more of a solution oriented company. So to answer your question, even though I would have started with investment, I'm actually grateful that we can do both um, because I think it's a more balanced approach to real estate. I think that's amazing. And if people are listening to this, one thing they might not understand is even though you're, you're the broker and you're doing both sides of that, you're not actually showing people problems couldn't possibly do that because you're in Mexico and these are in Dallas. So obviously you I'm need to have a, a to team. Yeah, I've got yeah, my team. exactly. Yeah. So I love that part of it because to me that was, um, you know, it's always nice to find a way to, to find a solution for a buyer. And I'm a big believer that the more solutions you can provide them, the better chance that they're going to say yes to you. So I love being able to give them all that because like you said, when you're talking to a seller, they're either going to want the quick nickel or they're going to want the top dollar. And when you say I can provide both, it opens up some options for you. Um, yeah, so my next a question, lot of people are, are leaving money on the table by throwing away all those retail leads. Because if you ask the typical investor, they, they would refer to as a retail lead as trash. Like it's a <laughs> negative thing. Like, oh, I got called and somebody wanted to list their house. Like they're offended. How dare you call me as an investor to do that? But I think it's really important to balance um, and be able to take advantage of those listings, whether you refer those out at minimum and take a referral fee from an agent 
you don't need to get licensed yourself. I mean, hire someone that's licensed and give them to them and, you know, they can hang their hat with another, but whatever it looks like. But I, I do believe money's being left on the table on the retail side. It's definitely a big problem. I agree. You know, I have some friends that are just doing that on the referral side. They're getting leads from other cities and states that they don't want to touch. They're sending them to some key agents and they're making 50, 60 grand a month just on banging out those referrals. So silly, you know, other people are throwing them away. Throwing them away. I see it all the time, man. So <laughs> I tell you, if you're listening, capitalize on both one way or the other. Excellent advice. Now, um, as far as strategies, this is always something that I like because I find a lot of people struggle with this. I definitely do. Every week, it's a different answer. But how did you decide to go into wholesaling specifically? Because I know every week I'm talking to somebody and they're going, I want to wholesale. No, I want to fix and flip. No, I want to do multi-units. I want to do developments and I want to do cash flow properties or, you know, I want cash. I want refis. There's, there's so many different ways to make money in real estate. And I found that unless you're going to focus really deep onto one or two, you tend to drop the ball a lot. And, and I've been working a lot on focusing with strategies. So I am focusing a little bit more on wholesaling in, in recent months with everything going on. Um, how did you guys pick what your strategy is? Or did, did it take a little time to shape that? And what kind of exit strategies do you mostly prefer? Yeah, so we started fix and flip. So before we were wholesaling, we were fix and flip. But yeah, you got you to go back years ago. I mean, everyone knows what wholesaling is now. If, if you go back five plus years, even real estate agents couldn't tell you what it was. And there was this perspective that, yeah, you might make three to 5,000 on a deal. So when we got in, I was like, well, I'm going to fix and flip because I don't want to shoot a dove. I, like I want to shoot an ostrich. Like I want to shoot the big bird, right? Um, why not get paid 25 to 50, 75,000, depending on the size of the flip on a deal. So that was the mindset I had. The challenge was the scalability of that. I do believe you can scale fix and flip, um, but man, you're dealing with, a new project. It's not even like new development, at least where you're copying and pasting something. Every deal is different. And so we got to a point of scale where it was just a beat down dealing with all the subcontractors at the level. And again, I have buddies that have successfully scaled that. But from a system standpoint, I was like, for me, I'd like to find a more simple way to do this. And finally, someone helped me see like, Chris, you've been minimizing the value of wholesaling. You think it's three to 5,000. Dude, my average, I remember at the time who it was that told me this, their average was like 22,000. Again, they're out on the West Coast, obviously, which helps. But I was like, really? You're averaging 22,000 on wholesale? I was like, man, I make flips that take me six months that I sometimes only make, you know, 20,000, maybe 15 grand on. So the light bulb went off. And so literally we kind of really minimized the fix and flip and went over to the wholesale side. Now, all that to say, I do believe that wholesale is an easier business to scale, but I will get back to the fact of be cautious how you identify yourself. Because if you identify yourself as a wholesaler, you'll get stuck in that thinking or fix and flip or a real estate agent. I really believe that depending on what's happening in the market, things begin to change and shift. You really have to step back and not get locked into any particular strategy. Because I can tell you right now what's coming down the pipeline potentially, which is going to be the hottest is creative financing. We know that that's coming, right? So if I'm this wholesale and that's all I do and I've identified myself rather than a solutions provider, rather than a real estate investor who can shift, then I might get in trouble when the market begins to shift. And so I always tell people, caution yourself on really identifying yourself too much with any strategy. It's a tool in the belt. It's not necessarily who you are. So do we wholesale? Yes. Am I a wholesaler? No, I wouldn't call myself a wholesaler. 
That's really well said. I love the, uh, the identity crisis is basically what I go through every week. Like, what am I? What do I relate to? What do I do? But I, I agree. You don't, you don't have to pick. Some of the, the best deals I've gotten into were things that I was never looking for. You know, it's almost the, um, you know, like going out looking for a fight or looking for a date or something like that. Like when you're not looking for it, that's when you meet the person that you start dating for years or maybe, maybe a bad analogy, but you know, like keeping that open and, and not focusing on that. I agree. People get too held up in, this is my box. This is what I do, which is good to a point, but not without canceling out other opportunities, which triggered a really, an, another question that I, I wanted to dig into a little bit with you that a lot of the people that I interview have not been doing real estate for 15 years. They've started after the market corrected. So they don't have a lot of experience with, the way things were in 2005 and 2006. So they got in when the getting was good. And now a lot of them are running away when things started to get tough for a few months and they're freaking out. But to the guys like you and I who have been around since before and stayed around after, I feel like it's just shifting back to what we were doing at that time. So when people start going back to, we're going to do these subject twos, there's going to be REOs and short sales and all these things, I'm going, great. That was my bread and butter that I started with. And you know, I hear people all the time, Six months ago, seven months ago, too many investors, too many investors, it's too competitive, it's too saturated. And then all of a sudden COVID hits and now there's less investors out there and there's more for us to get. And now people are, oh, well now real estate's bad. It's like, well, I thought this is what we were waiting for was for the, third, the, the herd to be thin a little bit so we could go after a little bit more and now it's, it's a bad thing. So what's your perspective on the way the market's changed and what it's going back to being that you started in a bad market, so to speak, and we're able to have that longevity as an investor, which I have to assume the reason you're able to continually invest from then until now is 100% because of, like you just said, being able to switch strategies with the market. Because if you have that flexibility, when the market turns, no matter what it is, there's always a way to make money in real estate. I agree. I had a uh, professor tell me something that I really think is profound, um, stuck with me to this day. I haven't memorized. He said, Chris, he said, Chris, methods are many, principles are few, methods constantly change, principles never do. And so you're absolutely right. The principles, the guidelining principles that got us through 2008 are no different than this time around. It's the same principles, but you have to understand that the methods will always change. And so when we hit this particular scenario, it wasn't as challenging in my mind because I had already developed the principles that need to be put in place, right? Number one, get lean as hell. As my CFO says, start managing expenses down to the gnat's ass, right? <laughs> get lean, get lean, get lean. You know, principle number two, adapt or die. Adapt or die. It was all about during, you know, COVID-19, who could shift their model the fastest to virtual, how could you run a business and maintain social distancing, right? Literally, we went through that shift in a week. We processed through that as a team. And so what I like to tell people is, yeah, people come and people go. But those of us that stay understand two things. It's always the same principles that we live by. So you want to develop those foundational principles so you know what to do when those times come. And then secondly, it's just about shifting the method. And I'm sorry, but here's what you have to realize. Uh, every stabilizer eventually dies. Everything. There's nothing as a business, an industry, a system that will work forever. So if you even go outside of real estate to business as a whole, there's no way that you're going to lock in on something that's working and think that it's going to work for the next 20, 30, 40, 50. It's, it's impossible. Everything dies. 
everything gets disrupted. So at the first sign of trouble, you bail out of an industry. I really don't think that you potentially have a fundamental understanding of business in itself. And that's, it's always evolving. It's always getting disrupted and every stabilizer will eventually die. So in order to win the game, you've always got to be thinking about what your new disruption is, what your next play is. So as the stabilizer dies, you're one to two steps ahead of new things that are streams of income already coming in. Again, going back to the very point of don't lock yourself into a method like wholesaling. It's dangerous. You're not nimble enough. 100% agree. So I heard you talk about how you had three exit strategies for almost every day you do or three ways you look at them. And I know you talked about wholetail. I'd love to get your version of wholetail because I feel like it has a little bit of a different box or a little bit of a different, a different strategy for almost everybody. There's slight variations for their hold times, their risk or how much rehab they're doing for that or what that counts as far as the dollar amount. So for you guys, what exactly is a wholetail? We simply take it down for cash, clean the house out and put it on the MLS. The only reason we are wholetailing is to be able to take a property and put it on the multiple listing service in the state of Texas. Because if we do not own that property, we can't put it on the MLS. And so that's why we do it. And you know, no, we're not rehabbing the property because once we cross the line past a cleanup for us, now it becomes what we would call an actual like a light rehab. So that's simply wholetailing, take it down for cash, put it back on the MLS as is because I think the multiple listing service is one of the greatest buyers lists that exist. So if you're looking at your buyer's list, you're having trouble moving a property, maybe it's not strong, know that there's an MLS system that is the greatest buyer's list that's already been built. And when you can put a property on there, it's a fantastic thing to do. And that's why we wholetail. I think that that's a great strategy. Looking at what I've seen over the last 30, 60, 90 days since all these things happened, a lot of the cash buyers or the, the, the fix and flippers have stopped or slowed down a little bit. I know a lot of the Wall Street money, a lot of the hard money lenders have tightened up their lending or stopped lending temporarily. But the guys that are doing exactly what you're doing and putting them on the MLS, the retail buyers are still buying constantly. You know, the data is showing that those the retail sides hot right now. That's what's crazy. Uh, again, I know because I run both sides, the people that are happiest in my company right now are the real estate agents. <laughs> like they're putting up their listings and they're taking listings and then they're getting and selling in Dallas, like 48 hours, 72. And I'm not saying for every deal, but all of a sudden, like the heat's heating up on the retail side and my agents are like, and I don't know that I would have guessed that. I don't even from an economical standpoint, maybe say that I understand everything that's behind that. I can just tell you what's happening. And that is it's much easier to move a retail listing than it is a uh, cash offer right now to yeah, cash you know, investors. I was very concerned when this whole thing first started because I, I'm a big believer in making sure I know what's coming or at least looking at the options. You know, I'm big into boxing and jiu-jitsu and the punch that knocks you out is always the one that you don't see coming. So that happened to me a little bit in 2005, 2006. And I've I've been very adamant about making sure that that doesn't happen to me again. So when all this happened, I went into information overload with all the webinars and everything everybody was doing. But it was interesting because the thing that I was waiting to see was, is the conventional lending on the retail buyer side going to dry up? Because if that happened, that trickles down to everything. And if I had to pick, were the cash buyers going to be the ones that were the problem or the lending institutions, I would much rather have it the exact way it is right now 
because of exactly what you said. So, you know, it's just a matter of getting the data. And I love after you're saying now that you're on both sides of it, you get to see the data from the investment side and from the retail side. So I think that that's even smarter being able to know which play to make and always having a good gauge on what's happening in your markets. And that's why I feel like it's a more, going back to my first point, it's a more stabilized business. Again, multiple streams of income, right? Never get, as, how old is the saying, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. I mean, we've all heard that. Um, I think that the combination is, is just much more, I, let's say this, I sleep better at night, um, knowing that I've got a couple methods there. So that's awesome. Good, man, it's good stuff. How, man, how you want, you want to talk about some radio? Yeah. Yeah. We'll get into chop radio. it up. Yeah. I definitely want to hear first how you got into, um, what, when did you start going virtual? Uh, I started going virtual probably six years ago. So again, I didn't start in virtual world. Um, I definitely, if you're listening, had the traditional office with the big copy machine and internet and electricity costs <laughs> and four different types of insurance. If someone fell down the stairs or they burnt down or, I mean, it's just, it's expensive, man, to have an office. But I knew that um, I wanted that freedom of location. And so we made an intentional shift. I'd say probably five, maybe six years ago um, to go virtual. And my very first step was simply to go through a third party company that already had trained virtual staff. And I remember hiring one of their staff that they managed but worked for me. And that's how I got my feet wet and then just snowballed it from there. That's amazing. And I think a big concern that people have is if you're doing this virtually, how can you, these people are doing what they're supposed to do and doing a good job and how can they be reliable? And to me, it's, it's, there's really no difference. It just comes down to finding a way to communicate and get the daily data. So the fact that you guys are doing, I think you said you did like 200 and over 200 deals last year, right? Uh, no, last year we did around 125, somewhere in the 125? investment side. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, and uh, I know doing that remotely from Mexico to what you're doing now, what are some things you do? to keep that daily accountability so you can have a pulse on what's happening in your business, being that you're in a different country. Yeah, I mean, our entire business is built off of two uh, operating systems. So for what I would call the operating side of the business, um, being administrative staff, everything to do with that side, we run off of EOS. Um, there's a book called Traction. Um, that I would highly recommend you pick up and it will help you understand the rhythm of meetings that you have, how to hold your people accountable. So it works really, really well there. And then on the sell side, the operating system we use over there is called uh, 4DX or Four Disciplines of Execution. And that's simply an operation model on how to manage a sales team. So we've taken both those models, one for the operating side, one for the sell side and our entire business accountability, rhythm of meetings, everything we do runs off of the back of both of those systems. So I highly recommend both of those. That's amazing, man. Doing over a hundred deals while you're in a different country and having other people do the work is that's the dream. That's what everybody's looking for. So I, I think that's amazing. So um, yeah, let's definitely talk radio. What, what got you interested in radio? Because when, before we started recording, you and I started talking about that and I've, I've a lot of people and I just know a lot of people in the industry and I don't know a lot of them that are doing radio and the ones that are I don't see them really doing it successfully so you have a really unique niche that I'm very interested in hearing about yeah man I'm, I've been doing uh radio for 10 years a long time wow. 
So after uh, direct mail, it was the second, um, what I would call marketing channel that I launched. And really the only marketing channel that has been tried and true that I've kept as long as I have. Other ones have gone to the wayside. They've got disrupted. Uh, they definitely, some have gotten oversaturated. The pricing, the dollar per dollar or uh, return on investment was no longer there. Uh, I just watched radio be consistent for us year after year after year. And a lot of people will go, well, you know, radio, that's interesting. Hasn't that been around forever? And I go, yes. And so is your demographic because your demographic is primarily over the age of 50 and they do not have Spotify downloaded on their phone. They still have two behaviors. They watch television and they listen to the radio. And if you understand that your demographic is over the age of 50, you realize, oh my gosh, that's where the light bulb goes off. Radio is one of the most effective ways to get in uh, with somebody at that level. And then the second thing you step back and you realize is, oh my gosh, there's virtually no competition. It's been around forever, but nobody's doing it. And that's why I've literally sat back for the last 10 years and I haven't seen anyone really get on this bandwagon. I've been doing it 10 years and it's still wide open. And so it's finally at a place now where I'm not trying to take over the entire country like I used to in my mind, like I'm gonna be in every market. So I need to kind of hide this radio close to myself because I don't want you and your market knowing because one day I'm coming for you. <laughs> I'm just gonna stay in Texas. Uh, and I'm going to launch my other businesses that I have and other streams of income. So I don't have to hold my cards uh, so tight anymore. And so that's one of the main reasons I'm talking about it now, because if you're over in whatever state you're in, it doesn't affect me. I don't care as long as you're not in, in my city. That's amazing. What, what are some things you're doing for radio? I mean, I'm sure you're doing all kinds of different ads, but are you marketing first off? What kind of, what kind of money does it cost to get into radio? What type of spending budget do you have? Yeah, yeah. So that's the other misconception that pulls people back. They automatically assume that it's not affordable. I got to start like a budget of 10 grand a month. No, all the students that we coach, their budget starts depending on the size of the city they're in anywhere from $500 a month to 2000. That's entry level. That's less than most people are spending on their direct mail right now. And when I say that cost, that means that they're advertising a hundred times a month on that station for $500 a month or a thousand or 1500 or two grand. So then you're doing the math. You mean like you can pick up a 60 second radio spot for $10 for 15, $20. Absolutely. You can. And people are like, I never knew that. So then it's like, wow, I didn't realize how affordable it was. So for us right now, my current marketing budget as I've scaled it is 27,500 a month. So it works really well. And that's why I've put that type of money behind it monthly. That's amazing. I agree. I think it's so brilliant that you're looking at, like you said, 50 and older, they're, they're, they're listening to the radio. I just had a conversation yesterday with somebody that's right in that age demographic and was talking about how they listen to AM radio every morning. Sounds weird to me, but you're 100% right. Those are the guys that might be sitting on a lot of equity, might not have the funds to pop into fixing up their property to get it into, into sellable condition. Um, so I love that. That's a great budget starting out, especially one of the things that I really was interested in is you had mentioned that the leads that are coming in, you're not really going after them. You're almost putting the bat signal out that they're calling you and talking to you about whether or not they want to sell their property or not, or if it's a good fit. So it seems like you said you're getting more consistent leads, but you're getting more quality leads, which 
that's the biggest thing. You know, I, people say, oh, I got all, my phone ringing all day long. But if your phone's ringing all day long with people telling you, go screw yourself, don't call me, don't send me these letters anymore, what's the point of that? So I'm very interested in the metrics on the conversions for what you're finding for a typical ad. Let's say somebody starts with that, you know, one to 2,000 a month in a, in a general market. What kind of, uh, what kind of convergence can they, what kind of traffic is coming in from that? And how is it filtered in from the radio ad? Yeah, so you got a couple layers there that I really want to hit on that are good that you just really kind of teed up. So number one, let's talk about your return. That's most important. So in radio world, for every dollar you spend, you'll get three to four dollars back. If you're new to real estate, that's called your dollar per dollar return. So I want you to think about it being a soda machine. And every time you put a dollar in that soda machine, all of a sudden it fires back out three to four dollars back at you. That is fantastic. Any CFO will tell you that if you're tripling to quadrupling your marketing on a consistent basis, that's good. And the reason I really hit on these numbers and, and be truthful about them is we get led astray by people going, well, I get 10 or $15 for every dollar. Man, BS, BS, BS. Maybe you did that on one direct mail campaign you dropped, but there's no way you're consistently doing that month in and month out. So to answer your bottom line question, you're going to get about a 3 to $4 return back, which is great. Now, stepping back, you're asking the question about the quality of the lead. It is the highest quality lead that I've ever been able to generate. And I'm going to compare it to direct mail. We're going to pick on direct mail. <laughs> They're on opposite sides of the spectrum. And again, I, I do direct mail. I just do it at a very small level. I had it up to 100,000 pieces of direct mail a month back in 2018 before it crashed because of oversaturation. This is when you walk into someone's house and see like 50, 60 postcards stacked up and like, oh, I'm not the only one doing this anymore. So number one, if you look at call volume, you get really high call volume on radio. I'm sorry, on uh, direct mail, but very low quality. Over half those calls are complaint calls, quit mailing my house, I hate you. Radio's on the other side. It's lower call volume, but a very much uh, higher quality lead, the highest quality lead that you can generate, which means that we answer these calls live. When they call in, we don't send them to voicemail because it's the highest quality lead that we know how to generate. The second thing is the maintenance. Direct mail maintenance is a pain in the ass. Let's just all admit it. From tweaking my postcard to dealing with the mail company to having to deal with all those calls coming in. I mean, it's, it's a mess. Now when it works really well, we'll put up with it. Right. But it quit working as well as it did. Radio is set it and forget it. You literally, you set it up and you wait for the phone to ring and the uh, radio company manages everything for you. You have no management. So if you're a new investor, this is what you want because you don't have time to take on another job just by picking up a lead source that requires a lot of work. And then the last two things I would say that are crucial is you get instant credibility and celebrity status, which you don't get on other pieces of marketing, right? So number one, they psychologically assume you to be a celebrity. This is where celebrities come from, from radio and television. It's why celebrities exist. It happens psychologically in our mind. And Nick, here's the last thing that they'll say in their mind when they hear you on the radio. He must know what he's talking about. He must be an expert because only people who advertise on the radio know what they're talking about. We all make that jump for the most part in our heads. And so that's why I think in comparison to something like direct mail, it's night and day, night and day difference. I love the psychology behind every single thing you're doing. There, there's a reason behind every single step 
and it all leads to the same path. And I, I think that's amazing. And just blew my mind with that. I, I it's, it's so logical. Um, so what are some mistakes for people getting into, into radio that you could give us a little bit of advice for things that people are doing wrong or what not to do when you're first jumping in? I can tell you the number one thing not to do, do not call a radio station up, speak with the sales rep and say you're interested in advertising on their station and ask for them to send you over a packet. <laughs> that's what everyone does though. We're laughing, but that's what everyone does, right? They're going to crush you. They're going to sell you at pricing. That's usually, usually I'd say three to four times the amount that we're paying. So what we do is we know how to pull the reports on stations. We know how to, for lack of a better term, uh, really like look at the value that that station provides based on their size. It's kind of like pulling down their pants and exposing them for what they are. That's what we do with the reports. They'll be real cocky and be like, oh, really? Well, I see that you only have X amount of listeners. Um, I see that X amount of people own a home that listen to you. And they're like, oh, you went and got the reports. I didn't know that you knew what those were or how to get them. And then what we do is we come in and we say, based on the size of your station, this is what we're willing to pay. That's an entirely different negotiation. And I love that all of my students are told by the sales reps, I've never had someone call me like this before. Because normally they just ask for the sales packet and you're coming in and telling me you've already preemptively pulled reports and you're telling me the value of my station. I mean, they fall backwards. They're so not used to getting that type of call because nobody trains people to do it that way. That's amazing. That's what I never even thought of. But again, back to the data, man, when you're able to pull that data, you can, I guess, identify which stations are the best ones to put that money in. So you're not just burning through all of your expenses on marketing this channels. This is a science, man. This is a science. It is. <laughs> even down to the genre of music. We're not spraying and praying here. You can <laughs> itch. I mean, it's true. People are like, well, radio, you know, is just going to hit a bunch of random people. No, people over the age of 50 listen to oldies. They listen to classical music. You don't have 20 and 30 year olds listening to what old people listen to. This is like the habit of human beings. And so one of the value things is just like Facebook, what makes it value is to be able to target an audience. You can target an audience on radio as well, like over the age of 50 or like rural, which is for some people or urban. Those are the three markets that exist in the U.S. And if you're an urban market and you close a lot of deals in urban areas, well, guess what? Those people primarily are going to listen to R&B and rap, and you can target it if that's where you feel like you're getting a lot of great deals and opportunities from. That's amazing. And you're only in um, one market right now. You're getting enough leads from one market that you don't need to branch out? No. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. Radio is extremely scalable. I mean, there's markets where you could spend, before you saturate a market, probably up to 50, 60 grand in a market. I mean, that's a lot on one marketing channel before you would even need to go somewhere else. Yeah, so that blows my mind because I started out investing all over the country. And then over the last year or two, I've decided it's better to dial down and focus on one market and really go deeper and get the team trained. And it's, it's easier to scale a business if I'm not, going wide all over the place, but I still hear people in very good markets are telling me that they can't get deals in the Dallas-Fort Worth market, they can't get deals in Texas. And the fact that you're able to have your whole business there with just that one marketing channel, I think is amazing. So it's, it's a little bit of a question, but what made you pick Dallas and did you work other markets before you came to that market? 
No, I just happened to be born in Texas. <laughs> I'm being serious. There was no strategy. When I finished up grad school, I went to Dallas because I had a few friends in Dallas. Because <laughs> I had a buddy that had a house and he had an extra room and I could afford it because I was out of college and I was broke. That's how I got to Dallas. There was, there was no concept behind it. But I will hit on one thing. Dallas is like Phoenix. It's one of the most competitive cities in the country. And that's why I always tell people if we can be successful in Dallas, and particularly one of those reasons is because of radio, um, you really have no excuse in whatever market you're in because I, I dare you to come to Dallas and see how crowded it is and, and how tough it is. It's a tough market. But you're making it work. And I think that's amazing. And where, where everybody looks is, you know, what, what's the big markets? What's the hot markets? And I feel like that's a little bit of a a moving question because the data that you're looking at for what exactly the hot market is, who knows what that's according to because the hot market for an investor or retail or cash buyers or all those different things. But I do hear a lot of people on a daily basis, everybody's moving to Texas. Everybody's sick of California. They're sick of Vegas. They're sick of Arizona. They all want to go to Texas, Texas, Texas. And again, I think like what you said is amazing because you're so technical with all the other things you're doing. But for the market, it was a very simplistic answer. And that's one of the biggest questions I get is people go, where should I start? How do I know what a good market is? And I've heard the most scientific approach to doing that to, hey, I have family there or I close my eyes and threw a dart at a map. Everywhere in the country, there's deals. And like you said, it's, it's almost like the old New York. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. If you're making it work in Dallas, your model has to work all over the place. And it's such an untapped resource that people are spending way more than you're spending on radio and they're not getting anywhere near the success with those marketing channels. So I think what you're doing there is absolutely genius. Yeah. And the radio works in your small market to your mid market to your large market. And I know this because I've helped students set them up in all types of markets and they all have their advantages. I mean, if you're in a small market right now and you're like, I don't like us, I'll tell you what I love about small market. It does not take a much, much budget in a small market off of radio for everyone in that city to know who you are. I mean, everyone, it's easy to own a small market via radio. So there are some advantages of small markets over big markets for sure. I like what you said about the celebrity status too. I've been hearing this a lot more lately of if there's not a celebrity in your market, you need to step up and become that person. So you being the person that's becoming the celebrity for the acquisition side, are you finding that getting your brand and your name out there is helping you separate yourself from the pack on the disposition side as well? Without question, because we have credibility, right? When we walk in to meet with a seller um, or we begin to work with a cash buyer on the investor side, we have a reputation. We're perceived as professional because that's what it's all about building a brand as. And I think a lot of real estate investors minimize the importance of creating a brand. And I think brand awareness, particularly creating a professional and sophisticated brand is important because we're in an industry that's predominantly seen by a lot of people as being filled with sharks. We don't have the best reputation, unfortunately. <laughs> so all the more reason to make strategic moves that cause your brand to be like, I'm not one of those guys. I'm not one of those girls over there. And radio absolutely does that. And that's what I mean by that instant credibility, that, that celebrity status. And man, it's much easier if we have to compete against somebody to go head to head when we have celebrity status and they contacted that person by spamming them. Who do you think's already ahead in the trust game? 
they like us. They reached out to us. We didn't spam them with text or whatever that was to get that appointment. And so honestly, we're going to probably beat you out simply because we started in a much better place than you did in the relationship with the seller. Man, that makes every dollar of that marketing. If people are going, well, I don't want to spend that money in marketing, not even on the acquisition side, but what even one more deal a month that you're getting over the competition in that market because they knew you or felt like they knew you because of that ad pays itself off probably at least two or three, three times over. Agreed without question. And that's the importance of building a brand. We know brands are crucial. So there's lead generation that's creating opportunities and there's creating your brand. And the thing I like about radio is it does both at the same time. Sometimes some things you do only build your brand. Other times things only create lead generation. Radio is doing both for you simultaneously, which is awesome because we're doing a call to action to make the phone ring and to give us lead opportunities. That's amazing. How, how is your team structured now? So obviously you have a lot of different people doing different things. You have the brokers and agents side, you have the wholesale, wholesale side, you have the marketing. Um, what roles do you play versus your team? And um, also I'm interested to hear about, you, you say you have a business partner. How does that work as well? Like who, who handles what? How do the, the responsibilities get divvied out? Yeah, yeah. So if you're looking at our basic org chart, um, again, we built off of EOS, like I mentioned before, from Traction. Um, but if you kind of start at the top, the difference between myself and my business partner is I'm the visionary role, um, like the chief executive officer, if you want to use that term. And he's what you would call the chief revenue officer. So I'm much more relational. He's much more tactical and deal oriented. So he loves the art of the deal. I love the art of building a team. And so that's how we've divided and conquered simply just based on the way that we're wiring. And then underneath us, we have the most essential role, um, which is our chief operating officer, also called your integrator um, or your number two. So that works as well. And so that's a really, really important role to have because that's the person that makes sure everything gets stabilized all the systems gets built, all the policies. I mean, everything's running. That's the person that's in the day to day so that me and my business partner can be working on the business, not in it, to use Michael Gerber's language. And then underneath that, fundamentally, we have a leadership team. And that's a leadership team, you know, a director of sales, director of disposition, you know, director of marketing, uh, director of transactions or director of closing. So you can kind of get a sense of, of how that framework works. And we spend a lot of time raising up our leadership and developing those directors. And underneath those directors are obviously all of our other employees that report to them. I get a lot of questions from people on uh, wanting to pick my brain, wanting to ask me about what I do, how do I do it, all kinds of things across the spectrum. One of the things I try and answer back with is there's a few different ways that we can work together. People can either um, participate by being a buyer, being a seller, or being a partner, and that's really the best way to learn. So if people have questions that have reached out to me, the best thing to do is jump on www.nicknicknick.com, and you can schedule a consultation if you're looking to sell properties, buy part properties, partner on some deals, or just get a general consultation to see where we can even fit in and where we can do business together on any level, there's options for that to set some stuff up. So please visit www.nicknicknick.com to buy, to sell, or to partner on real estate deals or opportunities. That is the place to go. That is the best way to start making money and learning the process. I love it. You are building a business, and I think that's one of the hugest 
common denominators that I keep hearing from people that are doing this successfully to the people that watch HTTV and go, oh, I just want to be a flipper. And they go and they don't understand that it's really not about the product. It's about building a business around the product. That's why businesses fail too much. So, I mean, what you have there is amazing. And for anybody who hasn't read Traction, it's an outstanding book. It's just filled with golden nuggets and value all over it. So I love that you've implemented that. Um, as far as the mastermind stuff. Um, over the last couple of years, masterminds have been a huge thing for me and for my business. I'm um, just growing, being around people that are helping me grow. You know, again, I always use the jujitsu as my thing because you look at the guys that are at the top of their game in our gym, who do they go train with? Like, how do they get better? They find somebody at the other gym and then everybody goes there and now they're training at Enzo Gracie and you're always leveling up. And I feel like when I first got started, you think you're going to knock out some deals, understand it, and then that's it. And I feel like the more I start to talk to guys like you, I realize how much information there is out there and how much I don't know. And I'm always looking. I get excited about waking up every day and having conversations like and just expanding my mind and putting more tools in the tool belt. So I know that you have a very successful mastermind. What was your experience initially getting in? And then tell me a little bit about the one that you are actually part of or running. Yeah, I mean, if you were to say, Chris, what's the one advice you would give me to grow my business, to be a successful entrepreneur, man, you got to get around the right people. I believe people change people the most, more than a book, more than a seminar, more than anything else. All it does is take one person. If you don't believe that, go read every biography, watch every documentary and watch that it always stems back to a who. That person will tell you about that one or two two or three people that came along in their life that changed everything for them. So if you know that it's a who, then I think the best thing you can do is hire for coaching. And I think joining communities, and again, you don't have to pay for all the communities you're in. There's communities out there that are for free, but you definitely want to step into a place in which you feel like you're the smallest fish in the pond to where you're uncomfortable walking in that room. Maybe a little bit, you don't deserve to be there. That's the right room to be in, which is humbling. And that room will always exist. I don't care how much money you make, there'll always be one level above you, one level above you, right? Always. That's the way that it works. And so, man, I, I'm a mastermind junkie. I've been to a lot. And the reason I launched my um, mastermind, I use the word mastermind very loosely. We're not a mastermind, we're a brotherhood. And what that means is we focus on really three things that are critical. We focus on being a beast in business. That's what a mastermind does. It's about elevating myself as an entrepreneur and growing my business. But the other side that's missed a lot is the significance in life. Help me be a better father. Help me be a better husband. Help me be a better leader. And a lot of the other communities out there don't really go to that uh, side because they're not equipped to deal with it. And we are, and we know as well as I do that, at our level, particularly with the brotherhood we run, which focuses on the top real estate investors around the country, we don't fall apart because we lack strategy. We usually fall apart because we personally implode and do something really stupid to literally jeopardize and disqualify ourselves. I mean, that's what happens, right? And then the last element is, man, if we're just doing this for more money, period, um, we're in trouble. Um, where's legacy? Where's the fact that there's something bigger than myself here? Um, again, going back to looking at, I'm just a steward of the business I have and I'm being measured by the impact, whether it be internally in the lives of the people who work for me or us taking the resources this company generates and affecting lives outside 
of, of my business. And so I think that that's the legacy piece um, that's crucial to hit on. And so, man, I want all three of those things. If you ask me, Chris, do you want to be a beast in business? The driver in me says, yes, I want to be that. If you ask me, do I want significance in life? Even more, I want that. And if you say, Chris, do you want to leave, you know, your fingerprint, your legacy in this world? I mean, what man or woman is not craving to know that they led a life of significance, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what matters the most, that purpose. Hey, I, I did what I was called to do. I finished the race well. And unfortunately, most people don't finish the race well. And that's the challenge. I agree a thousand percent. It's, it's, it's amazing how you don't know what you don't know. All those old cliche things are a thousand percent true. And like you said, walking into a room and just looking around, I've, I've been a big believer that I never want to be the smartest guy in the room. The second you think you are, it's too late. And that's where Blockbuster Video got taken over by Netflix and Toys R Us got beat out by Amazon. And it's amazing, even with COVID, the way people overnight became a dinosaur. And having that type of stuff has been amazing. And some of the masterminds I'm in, a couple of us just have some side group chats going on. And then sometimes when you're having a bad day and then one guy just texts you and goes, man, I locked in six contracts this week. You go, you know what? Like I'm getting my butt up and I'm not going to let that bother me. And I found it's, it's been very good for keeping me accountable because I don't want to be the guy who shows up on the next mastermind caller meeting that didn't do what he was supposed to do and didn't follow what my path was or didn't hold myself accountable to make those grows. Cause you stick out in a room like that big time. You can't go in and just talk about what you're going to do and not do anything. You have to, you know, bring some value and grow with that group. And it's just been amazing. So I think starting your own is, is just an amazing thing. And I think I heard you say, I don't know if you guys still are, but at one point you, you guys actually were meeting in Mexico. No, we do. That's one of our meeting places. So all my boys being a part of Multipliers Brotherhood, uh, they fly down to Mexico and, and we have one of our uh, events here, which is super cool. I That's love incentive it. Right in my there. backyard That's with all my guys. It's fantastic. That's awesome. So talk a little bit about the coaching now too. I'm very interested in what you're doing there. I know you mentioned a few times you're helping students. And again, I think to me, whatever it is, whether it's drums or jujitsu or boxing or real estate, the people that are, are coaching, I feel are kept the sharpest. I feel like it's, it's one of the most underused things, but all the guys that teach stuff are the best at it. It's constantly nailing down the fundamentals, always staying sharp. And then people coming back and asking you why you're doing certain things a certain way that make you go back and find ways to explain it or think about it. And I think it's a, it's a very, very helpful tool for growing as an investor. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your coaching programs. How do you help students and how can they find you to work with you? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the biggest thing we focus on coaching right now is this whole method of radio. Um, I find that there's a huge need right now to create the opportunity for people to have a dependable, consistent marketing channel that they can trust. And so I think one of the best things I can bring to the market this year is showing people how to set up radio in their market. And so if you're listening, you're like, man, you've been talking about this radio thing, like the light bulbs are going off. There's nobody in my market. Like I'm in, how do I do this? What I would tell you is go to um, wholesaling Inc dot com forward slash rei radio again wholesaling inc dot com forward slash rei radio book a call see if your market's open we do limit people per market because i'm preserving it i'm not gonna let it get oversaturated and just ask questions that's where it all starts it starts with due diligence and the best thing to do is begin by asking a question and of course also you know nigga people want free 
information just in general and uh, you know, what's Chris got going on and so forth. Um, you can always go to my YouTube and just get free educational stuff at Chris Arnold real estate on YouTube. So you can go there and subscribe just for free value for free content around coaching stuff. That's awesome, man. I really appreciate that. I'll definitely send people your way. And anybody listening, I'm going to put those links in the show notes as well. So you can just click and find all those different things. Um, so a couple more things before I let you go. I, I like to call this the victory lap. It's kind of where we're hitting the end point. There's a few key things I really like to go over. One of them is being an entrepreneur. You know, everybody sees that you're living in Mexico. You got a smile on your face. You got a good tan. Everything's looking good. But they don't see that you probably worked your butt off and didn't always have great days to get to where you are. Being in business, being an entrepreneur, it's a little bit of peaks and valleys from time to time. And it's all about, like you said, not quitting and keeping yourself, maybe by doing lines and holding yourself accountable and, and being around a group that's going to keep you that way. But you personally, what are some things you do to stay positive and stay motivated on the tough days in this business? Yeah, I, I think the morning routine um, is crucial. Um, I think that as a leader, you've got to fill your bucket every single day before you go and pour it out in your business with your employees to the people that you mentor. And I think where leaders get in trouble is they don't take the time to really focus on self care and to realize that every day you are pouring that bucket out to your family, to your kids, to everyone that needs your help with something. And if you don't wake up each day and refill that, um, with some type of morning process, you're going to burn out. That's exactly what happens. You just burn out. And so for me, man, you know, my morning starts, um, you know, I've got four things I do uh, in about an hour time frame in my quiet time. I do my gratitude. I literally every day focus on that gratitude because when the shit hits the fan, I'm sorry, but there's always something you can find to be grateful. There's days I'm like, I don't want to find anything to be grateful for today, <laughs> sucks, but that process I'm committed to makes me go, okay, you know, it could always be worse. Um, so I do the gratitude. Um, I definitely, again, I'm my background. I, I do the one year Bible. So it just focuses on, you know, a section of scripture every day for me, that value of the wisdom that comes through the word and so forth. Again, I just think it's one of the most incredible books ever written, whether you believe in it or not. Um, the Bible's amazing. And so I do that. Um, and then I literally have all my goals written out for business, personal, everything. And I review them every day. Literally, I just read them. They're typed up in the notes section on my phone. And I just go through them every day. Um, and I internalize those goals and I make sure I don't get distracted. That's the biggest thing. I, get, I don't want to go chase a bunch of shiny objects. These are the plays I've called this year and I'm going to stick to them. Um, and then lastly, man, I, I focus on some type of input, whether that be Blinkist. I'm a huge fan of Blinkist. If you haven't checked that out, um, or I do audible or something like that, but I make sure I get in roughly about that 25 minutes or so of just new information in my brain. And I read where I'm at. I read what I feel like I need to be hearing right now. And then from there, man, I'm off to the gym and, uh, you know, I spend an hour in the gym working out. So if you're looking at that, that's two hours right there before I've interacted with anyone right? I've looked at myself, I've pulled into myself, and then, then it flows into the rest of the day, right? Making sure you're eating right, all of those types of things. But man, those are my keystone habits. If I can have that quiet time and hit that gym in the morning, those two hours, then that refills my bucket tremendously. And then on top of that, on the opposite side of the day, I used to have a professor say, Chris, you got to divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abort annually. I'll say that again. 
You have to divert daily. You got to withdraw weekly and you have to abort annually. And what he meant by that is, dude, you got to get off the great game of business and you got to set it down and you got to go do something that just replenishes you. And that's one of the reasons I moved to Mexico is because I can get replenished so quickly here by grabbing a paddleboard and going out on the beach by the end of the day. Or like today, there's always something. My wife's like, okay, we're going to go get a great cup of coffee at the shop and sit outside. And so that's the thing I know that I'm going to divert daily. I'm not going to think about business and I'm just going to go hang out with her, have a great cup of coffee, maybe, maybe a pastry. (laughs) That's great advice. I love that. Morning routines are fantastic, man. And I'm jealous of yours. That's an amazing one. Okay. Um, second question. What's the worst job you've ever had prior to becoming a real estate entrepreneur? Roofing houses. I got paid $55 <laughs> a day to work 12 hours. I was responsible for picking up all the shingles off the ground. And the worst part is I had to tote bundles of shingles up a ladder one by one. And dude, I probably weighed a buck 50 and those things, what weigh 70, 80 pounds. It was, and this is in Texas. So let's not forget how hot it is in the summer in Texas on a black felt roof. My dad made me take that job and he told me, Chris, you can either work with your hands or your mind the rest of your life. It's your choice. And I said, I'll go to college. <laughs> Done. <laughs> so my dad was really awesome. smart in making me take that job. That's really cool. I like that. I've, I've done construction too, man. It is, it is not easy. Oh, not at all. Um, last thing, knowing what you know now in life, if you ran into a younger Chris Arnold, what advice would you give a younger you today? I would probably tell myself to be patient and understand that the development of character, which is really how you're going to grow a business and impact the world takes time. Um, I've often heard someone say your talents have the ability to carry you further than your character can sustain you. And so I think I would go back and say, man, stop the hurry, stop the rush and understand the development of your character, which is what's going to matter at the end of the day, more than anything takes time. And I think to a young person like that, we're just so impatient now, now, now take over the world. And I didn't understand that many times, maybe my growth didn't happen at the pace it needed to, because what was more important during that season was my heart and my character, not necessarily my checkbook. That's probably. That's very wise words. I absolutely love that. This has been awesome, man. Everything that you said is literally bought value and being amazing content. I really appreciate all the stuff that you shared, telling a little bit about your business, talking about your marketing channels. I'm excited to dig a little bit deeper into your courses and talk to you about coaching for my markets as well. Um, in closing, uh, what kind of final thoughts or anything would you like to leave the audience Um, For you, man, this is your time. Anything you want to leave or talk about or say before I let you go? Uh, Man, I think we summed it up, man. I I won't throw anything else out there. But again, you know where to find me. That's probably the big thing, right? So as we mentioned, Wholesaling Inc., REI Radio. And if you're interested in looking into our brotherhood, again, we have a couple spots left. We're almost capped. You go to multipliersbrotherhood.com. But again, uh, you need to to be doing a million a year in revenue to qualify. So, But if you're listening, maybe you're that guy looking for brotherhood. So. That's awesome. Chris Arnold, I really appreciate it. You, sir, absolutely bring your A-game in everything you do. I appreciate you sharing it with us today. And again, anybody listening, all of his contact links and all the stuff that he's talking about, I notes for this. I hope you have an outstanding day, man. Get some sun for me. And uh, thank you again for sharing your time. Enjoy it, man. Enjoy the conversation. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Chris. Take care.
Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McKenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-482-0167. Again, text drummer to 833-482-0167 for your free drum lesson.